Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open up your Bibles to Revelation. And we're going to be primarily in Revelation chapter 2. Will be most of the verses that we look at. If you are a teenager here tonight, uh, we're going to stay, you're going to stay up here tonight. And if you would like to be a teenager again, (laughs) you're going to stay up here tonight also. About, I don't know if I can, 47 years ago maybe, I was, in, uh, I was at Furman University down in South Carolina. I was a junior, and God placed several guys on my do- uh, floor of my dorm that were born-again believers. I had yet to make uh, a decision for Christ. I had been brought up in the Roman Catholic faith and I believed everything that the Bible said plus some other things. Just that I was taught through my education from K through 12 at a, through Catholic schools. So a lot of the things that are in the Bible I had already believed. So when it was presented to me about having a relationship with Christ versus just following Christ in a religion type of background or atmosphere, it was very easy for me to ask him into my heart. And that was back, like I said, in 1972. But one of the things that some of the guys in my dorm room or dorm floor shared with me was the book by Hal Lindsey called Satan is Alive and Well and Living on Planet Earth. And this is a two-part, we're going to look at part one tonight, of some of the things the Lord has put on my heart. With the teens, we're going through the book of Revelation. We've gone through the summer, and we're right now in Revelation chapter, almost at the end of chapter two, I believe. So the title of this message is Satan is Still Alive and Well on Earth. And it was, I was just telling... uh, John and uh, Paul, the last 40 minutes, there's been a lot of weird stuff going on. Some of you were here when we hooked up the computer and it wasn't working, and it was just crazy. I I sat down here after it was fixed, and I realized, I still got to get back there and get hooked up on my mic and all that. It was just like little things to try to throw you off. So whether that's human nature or Satan doesn't like the message that's going to come, it doesn't matter. We're still going to go forward with it. So, in um, Revelation, I'm not going to go specifically verse by verse tonight, but we will be hitting a couple of the verses as we go. But what I want to do is, what we're doing with the teens, and I think it's awesome, is trying to get a picture of what John the Apostle, who's now 90 years old on the island of Patmos, he's a prisoner. Okay, he's in his mid to late 90s. Um, it's, it's not Hawaii. It's a deserted, uh, barren, 
isolated, 35 miles from the coast of Asia Minor, 35, 40 miles from Ephesus, which is where John was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. But not while he's on the island. And hopefully, like any good church, there's somebody that can take his place while he's absent or if the Lord takes him home. Here was a picture that I found, and I said, wow, picture this. Picture you're John on this island. You figure you're going to die from starvation or exposure. And then in Revelation 1, at the end of Revelation 1, the appearance of Jesus Christ, who remember, about 60 years earlier, he was hanging with Jesus on the earth. He was with him for a few years. He was one of the, probably the youngest apostle. He was the only apostle left alive. All the other apostles died martyrs' deaths, except John. And of course, we know Judas betrayed Jesus and hung himself. So John, if we look at the end of chapter 1, picking up at verse 12, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as is refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth one a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his, hand, his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Again, I'm not doing a study on the book of Revelation verse by verse. This is a topical study. It's in two parts. This is simply part one. And I just want a few things, some of the things that the Lord has laid on my heart, but also to get you excited for what really took place at one time. And we li live in a media age. And I was just thinking the graphics and some of the movies and TVs that we see, how phenomenal they are, how they do this on the big screen. It like blows you away. Well, this wasn't on a big screen. This really took place. I would love to see him duplicate this on a big screen. It would probably be fantastic if it was done by born-again believers that could get the story correct. Not like some of the biblical things that they try to put out there by non Christians. But anyway, look at this picture. Here's John turning around, and he sees one like the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, surrounded by seven candlesticks, each with a bright light on him, white hair, golden sash around his middle, 
His feet were like bronze. If you can see his right hand, there's seven stars in his right hand. And in this particular picture, you'll see another picture in a little bit, where there's this double-edged sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. One of the things that we'll, you'll notice tonight in this study, you will see, we're going to look at three churches tonight. There's seven churches that Jesus told John to write a letter to. And the reason I'm choosing this is because of the time of history that we're in. These were seven literal churches in Asia Minor. Okay, we're going to look at the first three, which is Ephesus down in the left corner, Smyrna right above it, and then Pergamos. So the three that are on the left side, we're going to look at tonight. Now remember, if you go 35 miles out this way from Ephesus, is the island of Patmos, where John is. So he could probably see the land from where he was. And I'm sure he was praying for his congregation. But one of the things is the other churches all had influence by John. They knew him. Okay? Some were the pastors of the other churches that were raised up by John. If we take a look at Ephesus, this is... You could go there today, and this would be part of the tour that you would go on. Right now, you're looking in the background at that tall building. All the way in the back is a library. You can see some of the ancient ruins that people are walking down right here. Now, before we get to the actual church in Ephesus, I want you to turn to Revelation uh, 2. Verse 1, and it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus. Okay? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, every time there is a church that's going to be announced, the Bible shows us the description of, of verses 12 to the end of chapter 1 of something of the characteristic of who's speaking to John. Of course, it's Jesus Christ, but right here in verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. That was right up in verse uh, 20 and before. So they'll always go back for the description of Jesus about something of his characteristic as they go to visit this church. A couple other pictures of Ephesus. Here's another one. It's a bigger view. Okay, and you can see the library again standing in the background. Revel you don't have to turn to this, but it's Revelation 12, 12. It says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. With the things that are going on in our world today, not just the United States, but all through the world, I think one of the things we can all agree on 
is we're seeing more and more of the body of Satan. In other words, we're not just seeing his head, we're seeing his whole body. In other words, his influence. We're seeing more and more of his influence, more and more of the evil that's really out there in this world. It's not a nice place. There's a lot of terrible, terrible things going on. The Church of Ephesus. In Ephesus, and I, and I just want to give you, uh, uh, just encourage you as we're doing this study, get into the book of Revelation. Remember, the Revelation simply means the unveiling, and not the unveil. it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's revealing Him, it's unveiling Him, it's showing more of Him. We want to know more of Jesus. It'll help our world make a lot more sense as we th see things coming down the pike, and even in the news, just things that are taking place. Now, in the book of uh, Revelation, with the church of Ephesus, up on the screen right now, you'll see to, on the left side some of the things that Jesus commended about the church of Ephesus. Okay? okay I believe I'm going to say this in about two weeks, school starts again. Sorry, Kate. About in two weeks, school starts again. And after about, there's nine weeks in our semesters, about halfway through every semester or marking period, there's accommodation and deficiency notices that are sent home. If you're doing good, you get a accommodation. If you're not doing good, you get a deficiency. Well, up here right now on the left side are the accommodations. These are the good things. These are things that are happening that are, are positive. And on the right side are some of the bad things and what's going to happen if you don't change the bad into the good. So in these verses right here in Ephesians, some of the things that are very positive is the Ephesian Christians worked hard. The Ephesian Christians labor and they had patience in the name of Jesus. They were doing things in Jesus' name. They couldn't bear evil. They were against evil things. They didn't accept it. Because some of the churches, even the ones we look at tonight, especially Pergamos, accepted evil. They embraced it. They compromised. One of the things the Ephesian church did, they challenged false apostles. Different preachers would travel so they would come upon Ephesus. They didn't have TV and radio and CDs and things you could check out and, and check against the scriptures to see if these guys were telling the truth. They would come to a church. They would speak in an open forum. Well, they didn't just accept what was heard. They challenged, and they found out some of these apostles were false. They were false. They were false teachers. But they only knew they were false because they knew their scriptures. They had perseverance and they had endurance and they hated the works of the Nicolaitans. Now, before I go any further, this is history that has taken place, but unless it can be relevant to you or me, what benefit is it for us? And I believe that 
God wrote this letter of revelation not only for the past so we could see what the churches were like, but there are seven churches that you saw up there before. There were seven churches. Seven in the uh, Bible is the number of perfection or completion. I believe that one of the things God wants you and I to know is through the seven churches of Revelation, how many of the good things, like the positive things, the commendation things, are we doing here in this church, in this body? How many of those things are the deficient things that we are also doing that we need to get rid of, to change? If I'm a student and I get a deficiency notice, I have a choice to continue to spiral down or to start working hard in order to get my grades up. What do we need to do as this body, individual believers, if God has shown us something about ourselves or collectively about our church, what are we going to do so we are being commended by Jesus Christ and his word rather than found deficient or condemned? This is important. Why is it important? The reason is because the Bible tells us in prophetic writings that as the time grows shorter, more and more people are going to leave the faith. As time grows shorter, there's going to be a world religion that every good buddy's going to embrace. And if you're a true born-again believer, you're going to be the isolated one. You're going to be the one that people are saying, what are you doing? You don't want peace in this world? You don't want everything to be nice in this world? Why are you going against the tide? Why are you going against the flow? Well, Jesus is telling John, hey, write the church at Ephesus, the things that they're doing good. The Nicolaitans, they are, the word itself means lay conquerors or conquerors of lay people. Lay people is a term that they're not part of the clergy. Some religions have a clergy. They have a hierarchy of offices, okay? People revered them as, you know, they were the holy men, the holy people. If you're a born-again believer here, you're holy. Because the word holy in the scriptures means you're set apart for the work of the Lord. It's not that you don't do anything and everybody else serves you because you're a holy man. The holiest man that we have an example of is, of course, Jesus Christ. And he was the lowliest servant. He served. When you and I meet him, he's going to be the king of kings and lord of lords. He is that right now. He'll be on that horse. We'll meet him in the sky. Whatever way God is going to work it out in your life and my life. But he came to this earth to serve and to save the lost. That's our call, to serve and to save the lost, to be about our Father's business. In the church of Ephesus, 
Jesus' warning to this church. They did have one deficiency notice, and that was they left their first love. So, as you and I are looking at this, how do we line up with the things on the left individually and collectively as a church? How about on the right? Have we left our first love? Of course, our first love is Jesus Christ. Have we left Him? Have we got so caught up in ministry that we don't have time to sit at Jesus' feet? Are we the Marthas instead of the Marys? Are we too busy doing the Lord's work that we can't sit at His feet and minister to Him through worship and prayer and reading our Scriptures? That's important. Because being fleshly people, being worldly people, we want to do something to gain something. In the kingdom of God, it's just the opposite. We need to sit at his feet to gain, to glean from Jesus before we go out to minister to the people. We have to do this first before we do this second. Before we minister to the world, we've got to be connected here in our ministry with Jesus Christ. So what does Jesus say? He says, well, remember where you came from. Remember where you were when you received Jesus Christ and how you had that excitement and you had that fervor and you wanted to tell everybody. That fire should always be there. If it's not, sit at his feet. Just sit at his feet. He'll ignite you. He's the light of the world. He'll ignite you. So if you don't feel that same passion and zeal that you did when you first received Jesus, just remember how it was. Sit at, your, sit at his feet. Return to your first love. Forget about all that other stuff for a while. Just sit at the feet of Jesus. Second thing is a repentance. And you might be saying, well, Vinny, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, you might have been following this way of and just getting into everything. You've just been busy. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I, I clean everything in the church, and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to rake all the leaves, or, or then I'm going to go down and I'm going to go to the park and I'm going to evangelize, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, listen to 99.1 as I drive home from, to, from church, and, and then when I get to bed, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for about a half an hour. No, I can't do that. What are you gonna, I'm going to have a sandwich, and then I'm going to... Um, Think of what I'm going to do tomorrow, who I got to call, who's, whom I'm going to visit in the hospital. In itself, all those things are okay. But you put Jesus somewhere down on that priority list, and he wants to be first. Return to your first love. So you're going to, the repentance is I'm heading this way. I got to turn and run back and sit at Jesus' feet. Jesus, I'm hanging right here. I'm just going to pray with you. I'm just going to take time out. I'm going to read your word. Just settle my heart, Lord. Slow me down. Slow me down. Before you send me out back into the world to be your light in a dark place. So remember, take the U-turn, repent, and then return to how it was when you first received Jesus. When you first received Jesus, you know what you were doing? You were listening. 
Well, that's all you were doing. You were listening and accepting. Okay, now that you have Jesus in your heart, the Holy Spirit is your helper. He's your comforter. He's the one that's going to bring God's word alive, but we have to expose ourselves to God's word. Maria was reading something today about, are you abiding? Is the Lord abiding in you? Is, the, is Jesus abiding in you? Or is Jesus with you? Jesus abiding in you, or are you just hanging with Jesus? And there's a great skit. Um, I don't have enough people, we didn't practice it to do it right now, about abiding and being with Jesus. But a little later, I think there's a picture that I'm going to show you that's, that's pretty cool that ex explains that. So, if, let's go to, back to uh, the scripture in chapter 2. down to verse 6, I'm sorry, uh, verse 7. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So the picture up here is on the left side is the overcoming person, the person who, if you can see it in the left, is just at the God's feet. He's at the foot of the cross. We realize that by ourselves, we're no good. That everything happens because we're with Jesus. He's our first love. And that's going to help us overcome. Okay, Jesus is the overcomer. We're not. Jesus gives us that strength to do what, he needs to, what we need to do. And then what happens is, as a result of that, we get to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That tree of life, Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection. We're new creatures in Christ. The old is gone, the new is here. We're not who we used to be, but we still are not where God wants us to be. He knows the finished picture. We don't. He's getting us there. We're still living in these clay pots, these earthen vessels. Okay, the next verse, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write these things. These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Notice right there, another description of Jesus Christ. Notice which one he uses, that he was dead and came to life. You're going to see why that was chosen, why Jesus said that in a few minutes. Verse 9, I know your works tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who are, say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Okay, here's just one of the ancient ruins of Smyrna. Okay. Picture on the left is some of the ruins. The picture on the right is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the open tomb. The stone has been rolled away. 
In verse 8, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Why did Jesus use that with the letter to Smyrna? Well, Smyrna is also known as the persecuted church. They say in a 200-year span, close to 6 million Christians were killed in Smyrna. A lot of persecution here. Okay, and Jesus is using himself that I am the resurrection and the life. I've overcome death. He wanted them, because he's their Lord, to connect with him. You and I need to always keep the resurrection in front of us. We're here today. We could be gone tomorrow. But if we're gone tomorrow, we're in the presence of the Lord if we're born-again believers. That's huge. That's something that we have to take comfort and hope in. So now here's Smyrna and what Jesus tells John to write in this letter and also send it to Smyrna. Your works are good. You're going through tribulation. There's persecution going on. There's a lot of poverty, but notice what Jesus said here, but you're rich. That even though they were going through physical poverty, they were rich because Jesus was abiding in them. There was a group of Jews who called themselves Jews, but they were fake Jews. They weren't Jews of the Old Testament. They weren't following the scriptures and they weren't following the old law and they stood out like sore thumbs to these people that knew God's word. Interesting here, this whole thing of the synagogue of Satan. You see it here, you're going to see it also in Pergamos. And we'll talk about that a little bit when we get to Pergamos. Now, that's the left side. Those are the things that are the commendations to these people in Smyrna. One of the things that Smyrna is also associated with is myrrh. You know some of the uh, things with myrrh. Think of in the New Testament, right? It was the burial spice that was used for Jesus. Myrrh was also what the soldier dipped the sponge in to put up to for Jesus, for him to, uh, like for when he was thirsty. Okay? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Remember in the, the wise men, those were, myrrh was one of the gifts. It's associated with death. Isn't it interesting? Smyrna and myrrh have a connection in the word association. Now, look at what, on the right side, what Jesus is saying. And Pastor Joe, right, for probably the past month or so, talking about the prosperity gospel, or at least alluding to it. Health and prosperity coming. Not to the Smyrna church. There's no word association up there. That's the opposite of health and prosperity right there. There's suffering coming. 
You're going to be thrown into prison. And if you don't think that's intense enough, you've got to be faithful to death. That means some of you are going to die. Historically, we can look back and six million of them died. Six million. But if you're faithful to death, there's no second death. You know, if you're born once, do you know you die twice? Physically, we're born, then we'll die. And if we haven't received Jesus, we have faced a second death. That's the banishment to hell and eventually the lake of fire. But if you're born twice, you only die once. Physically, you're born. Born again, believer, you accept Jesus into your heart. You only die once. But what I'm hoping for you and me is we get caught up in the air with Christ. We get that great, really a great adventure, and we don't need a ticket or anything. God already paid the price. We just go up to meet the Lord in the air. But like the Apostle Paul, if I do die, in a blink of an eye, I'm in the presence of the Lord. So we need to understand that there's going to be times of hardship. There's going to be times of sickness. There's going to be times of poverty. There could be times of suffering coming because of our belief in Jesus Christ. Who knows of what the laws of the land will be coming down the pike? What's going to happen? We don't know. Are we ready for this? Sit at Jesus' feet. Just sit there. He'll pump you up spiritually. He'll strengthen you. He'll get you ready for whatever's coming, good or bad. And if you notice, the picture is the crown of life that Jesus is putting on one of our brothers or sisters, the crown of life. And I love it so much as, as that whole thing of servanthood. What happens to the crowns that Jesus gives us? Whew. We frisbee them. Right to the feet of Jesus. That's how phys ed teachers interpret that. We take the crown and we frisbee it. Right to the feet of Jesus. Because he deserves it. I, you and I don't deserve it. Anything good that comes to us is through Jesus Christ. So we just give it back to him. We give him all the glory and accept none of it for ourselves. Okay, let's look at the last one. And to the angel in verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, these things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was faithfully martyred, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who... Hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Okay, here is, as we look at Pergamos, here's where we see the double-edged sword coming out of Jesus' mouth, the vision, part of that vision that John had at the end of chapter 1. Double-edged sword. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. What I like, and I hope we all love, not like, but love, is how God's word is alive and active. You can read any part, portion of scripture a year ago and read the same portion today, and it might have some of the same meaning, but I can almost guarantee it's going to mean something else to you also. It's going to be alive. It's going to be fresh for today. It's going to be something actively working on you with the situation that you're dealing with. Can we truly afford not having God's word in our heart? Especially when he tells us it's alive and an active word. It's also sharper than any two-edged sword. This sword was like the six to seven foot sword. This sword is a sword that physically could cut a man in half or split him right down the middle. So God's word is compared to this sword that can penetrate to the deepest part of our soul and spirit. It can split it up. It opens us up to hear, to, to feel what God wants us to know. When we expose ourselves to his word now or when we sit at his feet, when we turn and sat at his feet and stop being busy, he'll cut us open to make us stronger, to build us up, to put us back together again. It also judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. I don't know about you, but I know my thoughts and attitudes are not where God always wants them to be. I need his word to judge my thoughts and my attitudes so I can repent and say, Lord, get me going in the right direction or don't let me go back with that attitude that I have. We all are flesh and blood. We all have a sin nature. That ugly sin nature always tries to creep up. What is the sin that's your hang-up? Or was your hang-up? Remember, it's trying to come back again. It's easy with the prodigal son. You know, he was a womanizer. He spent all his money. But remember about the prodigal brother, all those internal sins, all those things that he kept held up in his heart. What are those things that we still hang on to? that divides you as a person, that makes you double-minded, that divides you in this church to keep you from being single-minded with Christ? What is it that you need to confess, that I need to confess, that we're more of a unit in here, in this body, here in Janesburg? What is it? Well, God's Word is penetrating. If He's showing you something that is deficient, 
or needs to be confessed, we need to do that to obey our Father. Pergamos at the time was the capital of that part of Asia Minor. It was the capital. And notice some of the things that are going on here. Just like anything, God knows their works. He knows the motives of everybody's heart, just like he knows your motive and my motive. He knows our attitudes. Is it all show or are we doing it for him? Where's our heart? Is it for Jesus Christ or is it for Vinnie Whitehead or is it for Maria Whitehead or, you know, who's it for? Who are we doing this for? We need to examine that because God already knows it. He knows where our heart's at. In Pergamos, as we read, he knows where everybody dwells, where their heart is, where their home is. He knows what's really important to us, whether it's him or something else, and he only has half of our heart. David had a whole heart after the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. Some people had only a half a heart for the Lord. And of course, some people have no heart for the Lord. What kind of heart do you and I have? Check this one out is here, Satan's throne was in Pergamos. Now remember, it was the capital. It was the capital of that area. Satan can only be in one place at a time. We know he has an army of demonic forces, demonic generals and sergeants and colonels and privates. We know he has a lot of people that work under him. But where's he at? He likes to go where the bigwigs are, whether it's in Washington, whether it's overseas, whether it's in Moscow, wherever it is, he's going to try to take care of the bigwigs himself. Well, here, it was Pergamus back in John's day. He knew where Satan's throne and home was. But he also gives every, some people, not everyone, commendation that they were holding to the name of Jesus in spite of serious persecution and pagan worship and spiritual fornication. See a picture up there of this guy named Antipas, another one who was brought up by John. Antipas right now is being, this is just an example, he's in an oven that's shaped like a bull, and he's being tortured and killed for his belief in Jesus Christ. Well, even as there were martyrs back then, the guys that were following Jesus and girls that were following Jesus, they held to Jesus' name. They weren't swayed by persecution, even though some people they knew were dying. We hear the name of Pastor Saeed going on, I guess, three years over in the Middle East in a prison. His wife is going around, and people are hearing about things that are going on over there and coming to the Lord. Pastor Saeed is a great example, holding on to the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter what's going through. His wife and kids, holding on to the name of Jesus. Do we have that kind of grip 
in the life that we are in, regardless of what's going on. Now, some of the things in the deficiency, they were holding to the doctrine of Balaam. And this doctrine, I mean, that's this individual teaching, but this doctrine was a stumbling block. And basically, what it was going on was they were worshiping idols. They were worshiping false gods. They were sacrificing food to these false gods. They were having physical fornication with the temple prostitutes. They were also spiritual fornication, having union with other gods separate from the real God. So now, let's apply this to you and I. What are our stumbling blocks? Are we stumbling other people? Are there ways that we act, things that we say, things that we do that put a stumbling block in our brothers' and sisters' lives here in this church? Do we do that? Or do we have an unconditional love and we're third? Jesus is first, our family of believers is second, and I'm third. I am third. God, family, and me in that order. I do anything else, it messes up the order. It doesn't work. So what are the stumbling blocks that I, as an individual Christian, have put in out there? What is the stumbling block that we, as collectively, are we stumbling the world by our way we example Jesus Christ when we go somewhere as a body of believers? For us, the teenagers and some of the Youth leaders, when we go to the park, are we stumbling the people in that park? I don't think so. We're, we're bathed in prayer. We go in there with a purpose to love them and have fun with them and, and share Jesus in all different ways with them. But we need to be conscious of that. Spiritual fornication, what is that? What does spiritual fornication mean? Well, fornication is a union. It's a... fit. Physically, it's a union. And there's something that's birthed out of it or something that can be killed that was birthed out of it. Well, spiritual fornication is when we join with the world or we join with the religions of the world separated from this book and what God has revealed to us from Genesis to Revelation. There are so many man-made traditions. There's so many man-made rules and regulations and beliefs. In Christianity, as well as pagan religions, our spiritual fornication would be, what, do we have practices here that aren't in here? May God forbid that and, and reveal that to us that we would repent and not allow that to continue because that would be a sore that would soon infect the whole body here. May we just stay to God's word, the pure, simple teaching of his word, verse by verse, till Jesus comes back or till we go to be with him. We see the Nicolaitans again. Remember, that was the hierarchy, the, the clergy and the laity, okay, where there was a ruling over the laity. No one rules here. Me, 
the elders, Pastor Joe, Pastor Paul, we're to serve you. We're to serve you. That's it. We just bring you God's word. We want to build you up in God's word so you can go into your world, your home, your office, your work, your schools, and be a, a strong living example of Jesus Christ. How can we serve you? We want to build you up. We're not looking to be put. The only reason we're up here is so we can speak to everybody, where if I'm standing down there, some people in the back might not see me. That's all. There's no hierarchy here. We're all the, at the foot of the cross. The ground is level. There's nobody. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white or any other color. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter your background, where you've come from. We're all equal in God's eyes. So Jesus says to the people in Pergamos, repent. If you don't repent, there's going to be a conflict with Jesus. Jesus is going to come, and there's going to be a conflict. There's going to be a fight. He loves us too much to just let us go our way. To those who overcome, the scripture says, there's going to be hidden manna. It's going to be a white stone with a new name. And you might be saying, well, what's the hidden manna? What's the white stone? What's the new name? Well, if you remember, in uh, the Old Testament, the Israelites were out in the desert. They had no food. All the 7-Elevens were closed. They were, there was nothing out there. They were just, they were starving. So God provided manna. And the word manna means, what is it? That's what they said, what is it? What is this coming down? That's manna. What is it? So they started eating it. And for the next 40 years, that was their sustenance. That, that physically filled them. You and I, when we became believers in Jesus Christ, the bread of life, Jesus Christ, manna from heaven, God, came to indwell in us to spiritually keep us strong. For those of you people who don't know Jesus, it's hidden manna. They don't know the mystery of the gospel. They don't know. They're ignorant of it. So Jesus makes you and I lights to go shine in a dark world. To love others so that they can come to know the God that we love and that loves us. The white stone back in the old days was a stone of acceptance or approval. It was used in voting. A white stone would be a yes. A, a black stone would be a no. Jesus, in this scripture, says gives you a white stone with a new name on it. In Ephesians 1, 5, and 6, it says, Having predestined us 
to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory of his grace by which he made us accept it in the beloved. When you and I receive Jesus into our heart, we're new creatures in Christ. We're new creatures in Christ. We're accepted. That stone of acceptance. We've been accepted. We're beloved. We have a new name. We're the daughters and sons of the king. We weren't that before. And finishing up tonight, our standing the way God sees us in Christ. Now here's a gentleman that's abiding in Christ. It's right in the center. God's right in the center of everything he's doing. And I thought this was awesome. Everybody loves to be loved. We all want to be loved by someone. But you are loved by Jesus Christ, the most important person that you need to be loved by. So if you're not feeling loved, be loved tonight knowing that Jesus Christ loves you more than anything else in the world. And I always love this when I first came to Christ. If you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you. Just you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. So as we think of this, just the first three churches, where do you line up? Where do I line up with those characteristics, those commendations? Where are we deficient? Make those changes so we add to our commendations. And in that, we'll be stronger in Christ because we're being obedient to the things God calls us to do. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.